Blog Talk Radio. Pet people, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewlett, and as always, it is a pleasure to know that you've tuned in. This morning, one of my favorite parrot experts will be making a return visit to talk about all the latest news from the Parrot Education and Adoption Center. And then after our halftime break, animal communicator Nancy Kaiser will explain how her special gift has helped many pet parents successfully address problem behaviors. This and more are just on the other side of a quick station message, so keep your radio tuned to K-Mozart, and we'll begin in just a moment. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and with me now is Barbara Krause, the Executive Director of the Parrot Education and Adoption Center. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, Marie. Nice to talk to you again. Well, it's been a while since we've chatted, so I'm so glad you had some time for us this morning. You're welcome. So, tell me all about what's new at the Adoption Center. Oh, well, let's see. We have we have several new volunteers that um, are really doing fabulous things as far as, as you know, grant application and, and uh, sourcing uh, additional funding, which will allow us to expand our programs um, and be able to do more of this kind of thing uh, to educate the public on, um, you know, how to care for companion parrots and, and find homes for those that need homes. About how many parrots come into your facility each year? Well, we don't actually have a facility. We're a network of volunteers. Birds okay. are, are fostered in, in volunteer homes. That's great. Yeah, uh, it, it is, un, and it's not. I mean, there's pros and cons to each each um, you know way of, of um, homing uh, parrots temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that we probably take in about 20 birds a year. You know, we're a pretty small organization. Okay. Um, and we turn away probably double or triple that number because we just don't have space for them. Well, for the people that you turn away, do you try and help them through education? Maybe they're wanting to give up their parrot because it screams or it's ripping things up. Do you yeah, we, we certainly offer that, um, although, you know, unfortunately sometimes or very frequently when people approach an organization like ours is when they're at the end of their rope and they just are not prepared to deal with, you know, retraining their bird to not scream or, you know, uh, not bite or what have you. But we certainly do offer education, um, and when we're faced with um, a request for relinquishment and we don't have room, uh, we do refer people to, you know, organizations like ours that, that hopefully could take the bird in. Okay, I see. Now, with regards to education, what kind of programs do you offer? Uh, we have monthly seminars in both San Diego and uh, more recently uh, just north of Temecula uh, okay. so that folks within South Orange County are within fairly easy reach of our educational program. And we offer uh, regular topics that we offer are enrichment for parrots, how to keep your par- parrot busy so that it's having less time for undesirable <laughs> behaviors like screaming <laughs> or biting and pulling out its feathers, uh-huh. um, and parrot behavior. Um, so that people can gain an understanding of how behavior works and how they can uh, teach their parrot 
to exhibit more successful behaviors in their home and, and, you know, keep everybody happy, basically. Definitely. How important do you think learning about how to be a good parrot parent, that's hard to say, uh, how important is education? Oh, it's absolutely critical. You know, parrots, as as I know you well know, um, having uh, Petey uh, as part of the family, (laughs) uh, are very different from cats and dogs. Uh, you know, dogs are, are a, a great analogy uh, of the dichotomy between parrots, which are essentially wild animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not domesticated. Uh, those that were raised in captivity basically have been habituated to varying degrees to people so that they, you know, don't try to scream and fly away or run away. Right. Uh, for the most part, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um but they are still, genetically, they're still wild animals. They're not any different than the parrots that inhabit, um, you know, South America, Africa, Australia, wherever, or Southern California, for that matter, the, the naturalized flocks. That's true. That's so, true. And because they're prey animals, rather than predators, such as cats and dogs, they frighten very easily. And, you know, uh, their body language is also, obviously, uh, because they're, anatomy is different than cats and dogs. Their body language is very different. Uh, so, you know, there's a big learning curve when people start having uh, a parrot as part, part of their family to hopefully, you know, learn to read the parrot's body language and, and understand when, you know, their action of approaching or moving their hand quickly or bringing a new item into the room, whether that be, you know, a different fingernail polish color or a scarf or a hat or a picture on the wall, that their bird is now suddenly uncomfortable. And if they continue the approach, they're quite likely going to get bit. Absolutely. Petey hates hats, by the way. He, he can love common. you every with every other outfit that you wear, but if you put a hat on, he hates you. <laughs> he and, and I don't want that hat off. He wants to bite you until it comes off. And if he gets his beak on that hat, he's going to destroy it if he can. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the birds that I foster uh, normally steps up for me without any issue at all. You know, even if she's busy with something, she'll step up for me with with calm body language and not try to bite. But if I pull my hair back, such as when I'm doing a big house cleaning, Uh and I forget that I have my hair pulled back, so now my forehead's exposed, I'm assuming that I just look, you know, way different to her. She doesn't recognize me as as you know the usual person she steps up for uh-huh. and she will make me bleed wow yeah it's it's a whole different world i mean so many people think oh it's just a bird you keep them in the cage and there's not much to it but out of all the pets that i have i would say that my parrot requires the most care and attention oh absolutely you know one of the one of the pluses that um, you know, people see and having a parrot as a companion is they are so interactive. I mean, they're hardwired to want to interact with the flock, which you know, in the companion setting, is of course us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also a con in that they, or it can be, in that they will demand attention. If they don't get enough interaction with quote unquote the flock, they will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will. Hey, you mentioned earlier about uh, birds that fly away, and I just recently saw a sad news story about a woman whose parrot recently disappeared, and she's down in South Orange County, and and it's quite sad, and and I want to get your take. What do you think about regular wing clipping? I know for my own parrot, I always make sure his wings are clipped because 
as much as he loves us, if he's able to fly, I think he could get lost really easily and not be able to find his way back home, and I don't want that to happen. Oh, sure. You know, absolutely. For the most part, of course, our birds are inside our home, and even if we have some sort of enclosure to have them outdoors to take uh, advantage of sunshine and fresh air, they don't know what our house looks like from the air. Mm-hmm. Or what their house, I should say. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and And more often than not, very many, the majority of birds that were raised in the captive setting didn't learn to fly really, really well. Mm-hmm. They often can fly reasonably well in a straight line, but they're not necessarily skilled at turning corners or landing, for that matter. So, you know, if something's really frightened them and now they're, you know, up in the air, they're just going to fly straight. Uh, they don't usually get more than about a mile or so from wherever they, they escaped from. Uh, but you're right. We obviously want to prevent this sort of thing from happening, and, and we've actually had a number of calls from panic-stricken owners uh, this spring and this summer uh, that their bird has escaped. Yeah. Uh, there obviously are pros and cons to wing clipping, and that's you know beyond our, our conversation here today. That, but you know, birds obviously it's wonderful exercise for them, and they evolved to fly. However, they did not evolve to live in our living room. Right. There are many safety issues related to having a flighted bird. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's it's a big decision that, you know, is best discussed with your avian veterinarian. Okay. Well, I know that Petey enjoys just uh, cruising down the hallway and walking to all the rooms of the house. And, and he's an excellent climber, too. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, even when you clip their wings, if he gets up high onto something, he can easily cruise on down without any trouble. And Right. And and that's the key. And and you're right. They're they're indoor pets. They're not out flying in the the great beyond. And as such, I think it's important, at least from my perspective, to make sure that they're always safe. And I know I take Petey outside into the backyard with me, and and he hangs out in the backyard when I'm out there. And and I know that he's safe because he can't fly, and and he's happy to be out there and hang out with me. Yeah, yeah. Now we we should probably. Let our, you know, your listeners know, Marie, that even when birds are clipped, sometimes they can fly a surprising distance. Oh, that is true. That is yeah, true. If, yeah. If the breeze comes, you know, the right direction and they're uh, uh, sufficiently afraid of something mm-hmm. in the vicinity, they can go a surprising distance. And some species um, are uh, just better flyers than others. You know, many cockatiels, for instance, because they're a light-bodied bird with, with a relatively big wingspan for their size. Even when they're, you know, clipped really hard, many of those birds can still fly to a surprising degree. Oh, that's good to know, definitely. And uh, my mom has a cockatiel who she loves, and his wings are not clipped, and he just flies all over the house, and he has such precision. It's amazing. He makes all of these hairpin turns to get into the kitchen and back into the bedroom and into the living room, and then he'll land on your head, and it's it's pretty funny. But I do worry because my mom doesn't have a screen door, and when she opens up the door, she always has to make sure that before she opens the door, she closes up her pet in one of the bedrooms, and I just worry that one of these days she's going to forget and she's going to lose her precious little baby. Yeah, yeah. in fact, I spoke with a lady uh, just last week who who had an African gray, and the bird was clipped, um, but... um, a couple of years ago, this was in the fall when, when the weather was quite cold, her husband walked outside probably forgetting that the bird was on his shoulder 
and something startled him, and he, he flew off, you know, beyond the confines of their yard. And uh, one of the neighbors found him three days later frozen to death. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, oh. you know, even when a bird is clipped, like I say, they can sometimes get a surprising distance. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're not acclimated to to surviving, you know, escaping hawks and coyotes that's and right. human thieves and whatever else that, that they might have to face. Absolutely. Well, this is all great information, and you know what? Our time together when we talk on the radio, it just always races by, and I know there's so much more information that you have. Do you have a website that you could give our listeners? We sure do, Marie, and that um, URL is www.p, like parrot, e, like education, a, like adoption, c, like center, dot org. So P-E-A-C, or peace, as we call it, dot org. Thanks, Barbara. Well, we need to take a quick pet place break now, but when we return, animal communicator Nancy Kaiser has some truly amazing stories about how she has helped pets and people with her unique gift. So stay tuned to K Mozart, and we'll say hello to Nancy when we return to the Pet Place Radio Show. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and I'm very happy to introduce our next guest. It's animal communicator Nancy Kaiser. Good morning, Nancy. Hi, Marie. I wanted to thank you for having me on today. Well, welcome to the Pet Place. We're happy to have you. Thanks. Tell me a little bit first, what exactly is an animal communicator? Well, I telepathically communicate with animals, uh, I personally, I hear and I feel. So I hear the conversation in my head, but I also feel their personalities, emotions, some physical issues if they're they're having any of those. Um, some people see. I also get kind of intuitive knowings while I'm connected. So I just, you know, my clients call it a three-way. You know, I'm on the phone with my clients, and then I'm telepathically connected to their pet, and they ask or tell me what they would like to ask or tell their animal. Well, that's real interesting. So you don't actually have to be with the pet. You can be on the phone with the owner? I rarely see the animals I communicate with. Wow. And they can be all over the world. They can be any species, mostly, you know, dogs, cats, horses, but I've also talked to parrots and roosters and mice. <laughs> you know, I've talked to wild animals, you know, hawks and dolphins, deer. Okay. Now, when you say you talk to them and you hear the conversation in your head, is that more of a visual thought rather than actual language? No, no. It's I don't I don't I'm not clairvoyant, so I don't see things. And, you know, some people you either hear feel, see, or know, or any one of the four. Those are the four clairs. I hear and I feel. So I actually hear the conversation in my head. I hear their answer. Okay, so then what you're saying then is that what you're hearing are actual English words. Yes, and I'm a pharmacist by education and a very left-brained. I was married to a horse vet, and we had an equine hospital and breeding farm for 27 years. So I come from the very left-brained traditional medicine world, 
And when this first, you know, kind of opened to me, this whole practice, I had to figure it out with my left brain, and this is just my interpretation of how it works and why it works. My, you know, I learned in physics, as we all did, that when thoughts leave our brain, it turns into a wave pattern. All energy is a wave pattern. So my brain, which is just like your brain, so anybody can do this, my brain sends out the wave pattern in English. It gets picked up by whatever animal I'm connecting with, and that wave pattern is picked up by their brain, like a radio or TV receiver, uh-huh. and it translates that wave pattern into their language. Okay. To me, that's the only explanation for why you can talk to, you know, many species of animals. Okay. When did you first start realizing that you were able to do this? I really didn't realize it until 1993, and I was 42 years old. And it was because of a Philly foal that was one of our clients who was born with a scoliosis. And it's, it's quite a long story. It's the first four chapters of my second book, Tales of an Animal Communicator, but it was through working with her and watching an animal communicator teach a workshop that I had my epiphany that this was what I was meant to do. Okay. And how have you used this ability? Oh, uh, for many, many different reasons. My clients call for behavioral problems. They call just for simple things even. Um, I have to talk with a horse tomorrow because it's going to be moved to a different stable and it's people want it to understand why it's moving. I do a lot of pre-surgical type consultations. If you know they're going to be spayed or neutered or have a bizarre medical procedure, because of my medical background, I know everything that they're going to go through, so I, I explain all that to them so they know exactly what to expect so their anxiety level is very reduced, and it's much easier for the vets and the vet techs to work with them. I see. Okay, and you mentioned also that you wrote about this in your book, so you're an author. I am an author. I have two books currently out, and there's a third one that that is going to have to be written sometime in the future. Oh, okay, so you're uh, putting all of this together in your head right now, I bet. Well, it's the second book I wrote, Tales of an Animal Communicator, Master Teachers, tells the stories and the lessons and the life lives of the Philly Fold that taught me what my life purpose was and then what I've learned from my personal animals. And that was so much that it filled a book. Wow. So the next book will end up being everything I've learned from my clients' animals. Okay. And when did you first start writing? I started writing in about 2006 after a move from North Car- or from New Jersey to North Carolina. I was married to the horse that we sold our farm when he retired and we moved to the mountains of North Carolina and started building our retirement home and 6 weeks into that he told me he never wanted to be here. Oh, no. (laughs) After 29 years together. So thus started my dark night of the soul. Oh, 
boy. Yeah, but I learned more. I, I started a personal journal once I got to the point where I could even do that, and I learned more during that period of time than I had learned in the first 53 years of my life. So, wow. you know, and that turned into the first book, which is called Letting Go. Okay. Well, there is definitely a silver lining no matter, you know, what kind of dark oh, yeah. cloud you go under. So you you became a writer. Had you ever thought about being a writer before? I had not. I I probably the most I wrote was a Christmas letter that everybody always <laughs> seemed to like. Uh-huh. But I knew one day I would have to write these stories because I was just living so many amazing experiences with so many remarkable animals back on the farm in New Jersey and the lessons they were teaching they wanted shared with the human world. So I knew one day I would have to do that. Okay. And how have your books been received? Really quite well. Um, It's very gratifying when you get emails back from people and they tell you how your words have changed their life. Uh, I can't even tell you. The work I do is very gratifying with the animals and the animal communication and healing. Mm-hmm. But when you read, you know, read these letters and reviews from people about your books, it's just, uh, it's very humbling, actually. Well, animals do help people heal, and and I know they played an important role in your life. Can Can you talk a little bit about how animals helped you during some of the challenging times that you went through and, and how that led to your book, Letting Go? Oh, yeah. I was, when when my ex walked out, we were 600 miles from everybody I knew. I had no support staff. I knew, like, two people in the mountains of North Carolina. I had my barn cats and my two older labs, and I had two horses, but they were they were boarded about 100 miles away for oh, the wow. first few months. Mm-hmm. But it actually, the dogs, I mean, I was so dark at one point, I actually considered just sort of ending my life. You know, they, the animals have taught me that there is such a thing as reincarnation, so that's now in my belief system. But I never did get to that because I worried about who would take care of my animals. And so it's really brought you to them. It. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Hey, if you think about how animals have helped you, I suspect that you probably want to help animals beyond your regular work. Do you have any special charities that that are animal related that, that you kind of help out? Yes, I do. I actually, the a portion of the proceeds from Tales of an Animal Communicator, I'm donating to three different charities. One is my local humane society. Uh, the second is a group called Noah's Wish, who helps with animals during disasters like Katrina and you know all these terrible things that happen in our country. Mm-hmm. And the third one is the Wild Horse Sanctuary, which is in Shingletown, California that I actually visited and my visit to that place is chronicled in the in the book Letting Go. It was quite powerful for me. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah. Beautiful place. It's about five thousand acres and I believe they've got between two hundred and fifty and three hundred Mustangs living there. Wow. 
So every time somebody buys one of your books, a portion of the proceeds goes to one of those three pet charities. Yes, they do. That's wonderful. I'm really impressed. It's Thanks. It's so nice to hear when people give back because oh, they yeah. give us so much. Well, I also do pro bono work for rescue groups, you know, back also back in New Jersey where I came from, <clears throat> but also locally here with some of the more difficult to adopt pets. You know, I've been able to help with some that were biters that came back using some of the healing modalities that I work with. So I I do try and give back because without the animals, I wouldn't be living this wonderful life that I am. Absolutely. Nancy, this is just a fascinating topic, and I'm sure the listeners might want to know a little more. So let's give out your website. Great. And I also want to offer your, excuse me, listeners, I'm working on a new kind of a mini-workshop, audio-free offer that's called Seven Easy Steps to Creating a Deeper Connection with Your Animal Friends. It's not up on the website yet, but if they will contact me through the website, I'm I'm hoping to have it finished by the weekend, and I'd be happy to send them. There'll be seven little MP3 files. Excellent. Well, let's give out your website info. Great. It's www.nancy.com. Kaiser, K-A-I-S-E-R, animalcommunicator.com. Excellent. Well, it is time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, get set for Pet Place News and Events here on K-Mozart. Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Do you need to get a vaccination or microchip for your pet? Well, every Sunday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., the Traveling Vaccination and Microchip Clinic visits communities everywhere to offer these services at a low price and a convenient setting. No appointments are necessary. Microchips, which include implantation and lifetime registration, are just $15. Vaccinations are $10 to $25. Plus, testing for heartworm and feline leukemia is also offered. Visit www.thevaccinationstation.com for locations and more information. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org to send us your comments or suggestions for the show and see what other animal-related activities there are on the Pet Place calendar. Well, that's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend with more of the Pet Place here on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please spay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day. 